bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Mitchy podcast. I'm Erin. And I'm Erica. And we are joined today by Jenny Kwan, the NDP candidate for Vancouver East. Ms. Kwan is a Hong Kong-born Canadian politician. She was a member of the Legislative Assembly of British Columbia for the riding of Vancouver Mount Pleasant and a senior member of the Provincial Caucus of the NDP. After serving for 20 years in the Provincial Legislative Assembly, She was elected to the House of Commons in the 2015 federal election. And fun fact, something that I didn't know, um, in 1993, Ms. Kwan, at the age of 26, was elected as the youngest ever member of the Vancouver City Council. Also, in 1998, uh, she was named uh, as BC's first Chinese-Canadian cabinet minister. So welcome. Thanks for having me. So this is part of a series that we're doing for the election on women of color on the campaign trail. And we really just want to talk to candidates, particularly outside of Ontario, to get a sense of what it's like being a woman of color in politics, running a campaign, particularly as Erica wrote in her column today in the Hill Times, um, you know, white men are becoming angrier and seem to be treated differently than um, other than racialized people. And so you've been in politics for a really long time, not to like <laughs> age you at all, <laughs> but like, but I mean, relative to other women we're going to be speaking to. And so how has your experience as, you know, a, a Chinese Canadian, as an immigrant changed over that time on the campaign trail? Well, um, it's a really good question. You know, things have definitely changed. And I think if you've uh, identified, there's no question in the corridors of power, whether it be uh, City Hall, whether it be uh, the provincial legislature or the House of Commons, uh, it's really a universe for men. Right, that that's how it has been set up. I actually still remember when I was first elected to the provincial legislature as a neophyte uh, back in 1996. Back then, uh, you know, I, I, you know, it's this grand, beautiful building. Uh, and I said, a newbie, I didn't know my way around, uh, and I was looking for the the washroom. Right, I was looking for the washroom. I'm wandering the halls, and I find on the door it says women's. So I walk in there, and what do I see? Urinals. Like my heart almost stopped. I went, oh my God, I hope nobody saw me. I went into the wrong washroom and I quickly ran out and ran away because I was so embarrassed that I thought like, oh no, like what am I doing? And then later on, I went back and looked at that door and sure enough, I did not make the mistake. It's just that that building has always been catered to men. And even in 1996, they didn't even have the wherewithal to cover the urinals. In the, the, in the women's bathroom. Oh, wow. That's really where things were at. Later on, I raised it with the speaker and I said, did you realize the women's bathrooms have urinals in there? This is the first thing you see when you walk in. Like what, what sort of message do you think you're sending to us women who earned our space here uh, in, in the provincial legislature? So that's just, you know, the realities of what we were faced with in the House of Commons, for example, you know, we have very little time to sort of get between meetings and the the, the women's bathroom has two stalls in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought, honestly, 
Like you literally have to stand there and wait. And then the vote is happening. And you're thinking, I, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. You have you're to either vote or just <laughs> <laughs> you're not gonna make it either way. And you're just like, geez, you know, and it's, but that's, that's the culture. That's how it's been set up. Uh, and of course, that's not to mention how women are being treated as well. Uh, I still recall, you know, uh, when I first ran for office uh, for city hall, you know, pretty well people were joking, but it wasn't a joking matter. I had three strikes against me. You know, uh, I was young, right? Uh, I'm a woman and, uh, and I'm a Chinese Canadian, a racialized colored woman. And, uh, and pretty well, right off the top, I did not fit that mold of what the faces look like at City Hall. And, uh, and of course, I, I, I have uh, left-leaning politics as well. That makes me even more an outcast <laughs> back in those days. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, people made comments to me like, oh, you know, uh, if, uh, if, you know, you're very hardworking, you're really smart, but if you were older, like really, if I was older and then what? I will have wrinkles. Is that what is that your point? Uh, and, um, and, 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 you know, others will say, you know, things like uh, racialized women, like they think that I only have one agenda, right? As though I couldn't see the big picture, as though I'm blinded. And then when you do advocate for uh, uh, racialized women, for example, then they only see you as that and they pin you down as that. Uh, and that's the reality of what, what we're, uh, you know, what we have to deal with. Often people will observe how we look as opposed to what we say. Right? They're not really paying attention to the substance of what we have to say. Uh, and, and that happens all the time. If you show emotion, you're weak, right? Men, mm -hmm. if they show emotion, they're sensitive. They must mm -hmm. be very caring. But mm -hmm. we women, when we show emotion, we're just weak and emotional, right? And, and this kind of and stuff hysterical. goes on all the time. Yeah, yeah. And when I speak passionately about issues to right, sometimes people just say, oh my gosh, she's just hysterical. Like really, uh, you know, a man has passion. Exactly, you know, and, and, and so there is definitely that double standard. Now things have gotten a bit better, marginally, it's gotten a bit better and bit by bit we're fighting back and then we're getting, you know, uh, recognition and raising the issues of harassment uh, and, 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 and the double standard that apply. Um, and, uh, but it is a long road, you know, uh, I would say when I first started, you know, right, up, right from the get-go, I received hate mail, right? Racist, disgusting, misogynistic hate mail right from the get-go. That's never stopped. I continue to receive hate mail. Uh, and, and some of them is just so vile, right? Uh, in, in the descriptive, exceedingly descriptive uh, language uh, about things. And, um, and, and, and this carries on. Um, you know, things got so bad for me at one point uh, that, you know, we had to call in the police, which we're very reluctant to do to in involve the authorities for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, but we just felt that the safety of, well, I felt the safety of my staff uh, in our office was in jeopardy. Um, you know, I've had uh, uh, my window smash in at the provincial level, my tire slashed, although I don't know exactly who did that. You know, those are the kinds of things that, uh, you know, that happens uh, to us of late. Uh, I would say since you know, when Trump was elected as president, it almost opened up this giant wave of uh, racists, 
you know, for people to be blatantly open racist, explicitly racist towards you was somehow okay. Uh, for the first time in my political career, I had someone come right up to my face to tell me that they don't like me because of the color of my skin, told me that I, I, I should go back to my own country. Uh, white supremacists essentially came right up to me. In the past, they have always hidden under some sort of uh, anonymous anonymous sort of uh, approach, right? Messages get sent, there are no real names. Uh, letters get sent, m m voice messages get uh, left, but they don't leave a number and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then, you know, since the Trump administration came into office uh, at that period, uh, it was blatant and it was outright racist right to your face. And for the first time, uh, I was told to go back to my own country. I was um, participating in a uh, anti-racism rally actually uh, to celebrate the International Day for the elimination of racial discrimination. You know, it, it was a celebratory moment, but also recognizing the work that we still need to do. And so we marched uh, to Victory Square, a group of us, and then white supremacists circled us. And just as I was about to get up to speak, uh, uh, you know, they threw a smoke bomb uh, in, in, in our crowd. Wow. Uh, yeah, the organizer asked me, they said, do you, do you want to stand down? Do you want to cancel the thing? And, and for a minute, I almost thought maybe we should. Then I caught myself and I said, absolutely not, because that's exactly what they want. They want to drive you out. They want to silence you. They want to delegitimize your voice. And I said, I'm not going to let them do that. So I got up on that stage and we did our thing. But it was so upsetting. There were seniors there. There were children there. People were were shaken, no question. You know, um, there was a Japanese Canadian woman there who remembered the internment. Internment camps. Yeah. Exactly. And, and she was in tears. It mm. was just, you know. Oh my gosh, that's traumatic. Right? But, that, but that's, that's the reality. And that, that is what's happening uh, right mm. now, to be sure. Wow. So, you know, there are a number of women who were in, who were just holding seats in the House of Commons and opted to not seek re-election, including Catherine McKenna and um, Nunavut MP from your own party, Momolet Kwakwak. And they both ex experience, had different experiences, of course, but you know, Minister McKenna received a lot of like online hate and um, MP Kwakwak, she, she just felt very oppressed on the Hill itself. And so with these experiences, of your colleagues and your party members, what makes you stay in politics? Like, why why do you keep doing this if it's so you experience such hateful things? Yeah, so I would say, I mean, for me, um, yes, I experienced my share of hate and will continue to. I'm under no illusion that that will all somehow magically go away. Uh, and, you know, I stand resolute to fight back. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm a community legal advocate. That's where my background comes from. Uh, and to fight against uh, these kinds of oppression. Um, and so for me, uh, I would say, though, that it is a minority of the, the Canadians who take that sentiment. I don't believe that that's the majority of Canadians point of view. For every hate mail that I get, I get 
all the other ones that are not. And, you know, the thing that's most rewarding to me uh, is this, you know, I have the privilege to be an elected official. And with that, I have access to resource, uh, access to information, uh, and I have a platform to, 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 to elevate and to amplify, amplify the voices of our community, the grassroots community. Many people say I'm an activist uh, politician, and I am. I walk the streets with the community all the time. I rally with them all the time and do those things. And so when we, we fight these things and when you get a win, I have to tell you, there's nothing like it. One of the things that I really pride myself in in my office is our work in, in, in supporting our constituents in case-by-case -case work. Policy is really important. I'll fight that tooth and nail every single day in the House of Commons at committee and elsewhere. But when it comes right down to it as well, it's about helping the individual too, who are in dire need. That's where I come from, right? My, I, my background is advocacy. The case-by-case -case thing make a lot difference in the life of that individual immediately right now and fight for them, fight for their rights. And so when we win a case, I, I swear to you, like we do this weird little happy dance with our team and we're just so thrilled and there's nothing like it. Like it's just so enormously satisfying and to know the privilege of being able to make that difference. And, and for some cases at the federal level, it is a matter of life and death. We've fought for people to escape you know, persecution to come to Canada to safety and succeeded uh, in that for the LGBTQ community, for example, mm -hmm. others who face political persecution uh, and so on. Women, the Yassidis, women who were faced with genocide, causing the government and fighting for the government to change policy uh, to bring Yassidis, uh, some of the Yassidis uh, genocide survivors to, to Canada. When you win those fights, I, I have to tell you, like I'm over the moon, like I, I can't remember uh, you know, it erases all the hate, right? And then to remind you why you're there, why this work is so important. And when I get really down, you know, some days I do feel defeated because pushing for policy change and even, even fighting on individual cases sometimes can take a very long time and it's taxing on your emotional system. And sometimes when you just feel defeated, like, oh, this can't happen, like things are not moving fast enough, I go and walk the streets. I talk to the people in the community, particularly folks in the downtown east side. And they, you know, they're so generous in their spirit. They're so beautiful as, as peoples. I talk to indigenous leaders who's taught me so much and they remind me one heart, one mind. We must focus and be resolute. And if you need to take a break, and what do I do? I go to my mom's and I eat tons and tons of wonton noodle soup until literally I'm about to burst. Uh, and then I feel refreshed and I feel replenished. Uh, and then you go out there and you fight the fight again. And then always know that when you fight this fight, you're never alone. You're never alone. Literally, there are you know tons and tons of people who are beside you, who are walking with you along the way. And to know that when you get too tired, sometimes too, you look for allies, right? And there are allies all around you. You pass the baton on to the next person and to take a breather. And then when the person you know who, who took the baton needs a breather, they pass it back to you and you just keep running. No matter what, you stay focus, you keep running. And then I remember this as well. I thank my lucky stars for the people who came before me. 
the fight that they had to endure. People lost lives fighting for women's rights. For me, as an immigrant girl who came, he didn't speak a word of English, to sit in office. I didn't do this by myself. They fought for me, for me to have a seat at this table and to be legitimate uh, with my voice at this table for my community. So it's, you know, it's hugely um, rewarding. And it also makes you understand the privilege that you hold and always remember why you're there, you know, and, and always remember, you know, where I come from, you know, my, my humble beginnings and, and the struggles that we endured as a family and the struggles that continue for people who are in our community today. So it's, uh, it's interesting because we um, interviewed Sandy Hudson of Black Lives Matter earlier this year. And one of the things she said was that you have to believe. You have to believe that it's going to happen. She's like, when we fought for tuition, like, like against tuition hikes, she says, we believed we would win eventually, even though it was a struggle. She talked about like Tent City and how people, what she was surprised at, she's like, A, I didn't think it was, it would be that long. And B, I didn't know there were so many people paying attention who would drop off food and blankets and because I remember it was cold just just things to get keep you going right and I think that that's just a great lesson the other thing is you come from a community back focused background I personally am of the belief that nobody should be elected without having some advocacy done some advocacy work at some point like that is seriously I'm thinking that it needs to be a standard because there's just too many people with like business ties and development ties and they don't have ties to the average people, person, but community people do. Absolutely right. Believing in in, in it, right? And, you know, I tell my children, um, you know, look up in the stars and find that brightest star that shine and keep your gaze on it. Sometimes it clouds over, sometimes it rains, but if you look and keep your gaze on it, you'll find it and just mm. keep focus. And I believe in it. Change sometimes take a long time. And I, I'm frustrated by that. I'll be very honest. Some days, you know, I want to rip my hair out, but, but that is not going to drive me away and make me give up because we cannot give up and better is possible. And, and, and that hope, that belief is what it is the thing that keeps me alive uh, and, and keeps me driving forward, hoping for that better future. And then they, and then they are nuggets of wins. And when you get it, celebrate it, own it and celebrate it, but don't let it re- you know, relax you and say, oh, well, we're done because it's not done. Then there's the next phase. You've got to keep on pushing. Winning one case for me is not enough. Then I want the policy change because for all mm-hmm. the people who did not make it to the office, what about them? Right. Then, then, then you refocus to say, use that case as an, ex, as, a, as an example of why you want to drive for policy change. I did it as the immigration mm-hmm. critic prior to the election uh, on for migrant workers, caregivers who come to take care of Canadian families and their children, leaving their own families behind. I've met so many caregivers and the heartbreaking stories, like literally, it's, it's just horrendous. Canada's immigration policy is horrific. We separate families. We literally 
Thank you. Look, so much hardship in people's lives. And when we, so we, we did, I did press conferences. I did anything I can. I raised the issue in the House Commons at committee and all of those things. And one of the case, uh, this woman who shared her story publicly, so with so much courage, shared her story. And we did press conferences in Toronto in the backyard of the minister's uh, riding. And then, uh, and drove that issue endlessly. Uh, and then the then the government actually made a change. They made an annou- announcement citing that case as the reason why there has to be change. The mm. policy change wasn't a hundred percent, but it it got us closer. Right. Ultimately, what I want to see for migrants is land of status on arrival. I want migrant workers to be treated as equals as Canadians. And so we still have some ways to go, but winning that victory meant something. And it, it all stemmed from the story of one individual who had the courage to share it with the world, with, you know, with all of us. And I amplify that voice together. We made that change. And so you know, every little bit counts and we win that victory, but it doesn't mean to say that we can just sit on our laurel and just sort of, you know, lay back and, 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 and but, you know, it, it means celebrate that moment and then press forward. And so just to wrap up here, because I know that we got to get going, what words of advice would you have for women and those who identify as women of color who are, who want to maybe run for office or who are considering running for office, but maybe are a little bit hesitant because of the harassment and abuse. So they, you may, they may experience. Um, first off, um, come in with your eyes wide open, right? Know that this can happen, but um, it, you know, know that also you're not alone that there are many people who are with you, who will walk alongside you, who will support you every step of the way. And then also know that, um, you know, uh, Erica was talking about believe, believe in yourself, right? You are worth that investment. Your community and the people that you're fighting for, they are worth that investment and believe in it. And, And for all the people who want to say no to you, uh, turn it right around and flip it right around, right back at them, stare them down, you know? And and finally, I would say this, electoral politics may not be for everyone, but, you know, advocacy is a long relay and every single stage matters. And it doesn't matter what role you play at what stage, your contribution is just as important, is equally important and equally valued. So it doesn't matter if you run for office or not. It'd be great if you do, because I firmly believe that the faces of our electors at all levels of government should reflect the faces of our community. I firmly believe uh, in that, and we need to drive for that. But in every, the entire spectrum of this journey, everyone matters. Your contribution matters, no matter what it is. We stand on the shoulders of giants. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. This has been really great and um, so much more hopeful than I anticipated. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, you know, I mean, people want to beat you down and then you want to give up and and then they win. That's Mm -hmm. the thing, right? For me. And I'm a fighter. I'm an East Bend fighter. I can't help it. Oh, Uh, yeah. uh, And and I, you know. Erin knows that. (laughs) 
it on, man. Bring it on because I am just going to fight for our people, our community, mm-hmm. the the people without voice, the grassroots community, the, the vast majority of Canadians. Their voice matter, their lives matter, uh, their rights matter. And, you know, I believe in humanity. I really do. And I believe in the goodness of people. Uh, and, and if I have to go to my grave driving that into government and to bring it out uh, into action, not just in words, because words are cheap. Uh, and that's what we've seen. And I'll be partisan for one minute. The mm-hmm. liberal, you know, uh, the conservatives, they talk the talk, but boy, oh boy, do they ever not walk the walk. And it is not good enough. Making announcements about housing without deliver, ac- delivering actual affordable housing doesn't mean that people will have affordable housing. It Did is you not- listen to our last podcast? Because <laughs> this is what we talked about. <laughs> But we've got to fight and fight and fight until we get the job done. And it's a long relay and mm-hmm. in it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And build community. Absolutely. Build communities, build capacity, support each other, build allyship, uh, intersectional, uh, cross-pollinate, as I call it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, fight for what this one issue, but it's all interrelated uh, mm-hmm. because we're all part of that human race. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I've, I, 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 for years and years, I said, let's cross-pollinate. And people won't go, what? And I said, intersectionality. Let's mm-hmm. cross over our issues. And, you know, equality and justice should cross the entire spectrum. Yeah, I, I think that you probably have one of the most challenging uh, ridings in the country to deal with, like, policy-wise, for sure, in terms of, like, the diversity of the population, the diversity of income, etc. Yeah, we have our share of challenges, no question uh, about it. Look at the overdose crisis uh, in the downtown east side, right? For example, we're also the third largest indigenous, urban indigenous communities in the country and the impact of colonization and the generational impact, you see it right before our eyes each and every day. But the other thing about uh, Van East is this, we fight tooth and nail. We, we color outside of the box all the time. And then when we fight for these things, it's not just for our community. We actually create change nationally. Uh, and, and look at what's happened with the with Insight, right? With arm reduction. We were the community that brought it. Uh, and then we're affecting that change across the country. We're fighting for safe supply now. We're fighting for recognition of of, of, of people with addictions as a true health issue and not to deal with it with it as a criminal justice issue. That conversation never happened outside of our community, you know, uh, until now. And we've been pushing so hard to affect that change. So Venice, uh, you know, really is, is, I call us the caring capital of the country. We lead the charges to affect change and we are not shy about it. We're not apologetic about it. And we color outside of the box on purpose to affect change. Habitual line steppers. That's what I like to call them. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Um, we'll let you go. Thank you so much. What fun. Big thank you to Jenny Kwan for joining us for that really uplifting discussion. I'm so pleased. It's the, it's what I need. Yes. Honestly, the election has been kind of bleak and I've just been kind of dreading it. So this was just like a nice breath of fresh air. Yeah. 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 I mean, 
it's it's nice you know what it's funny because trudeau's platform dropped today and all we heard is hope 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 apparently he left out the change hmm. anyway hope and i'm like hope where you've been there for six years you can't be in the incumbent and talk about hope right but from her i felt it Mm -hmm. like i felt it yeah so that's the kind of energy i needed today yeah so if you're a woman of color listening to this run for office well give it a thought (laughs) (laughs) look i'm just being real okay (laughs) Listen, I think about it a lot. <laughs> well, I don't want, I don't want, see, this is what I don't like. I don't like when people like push people to do things. And they're like, run, do it. You can do it because friends convince friends to run all the time with no infrastructure, with no thought of making community connections, mm-hmm. with no thought of, gee, Who's going to speak up for you? Who's going to, you know, who's going to uplift you? Mm -hmm. Nobody. It's like, seriously? So why are you? It's like encouraging someone to stay, enter or stay in a relationship that has no future. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, would I love if more women, women of color run? Sure. But then I'm like, what happens when they get there? Mm -hmm as we saw from the Green Party and their report, their systemic racism report. On that note, again, thank you to Jenny Kwan for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next week for our normal bullshit. Yeah, with uh, (laughs) your face. (laughs) Hubba hubba. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Bye. Bye.